to know that they're headed to Hong Kong to do ministry is, is, is wonderful. Well, let's pray again. Now, Father, thank you for your word. Lord, use me today as I bring your word. Give me freedom to preach your word, Lord, with clarity. Father, give us hearts to hear and to take in and to apply to our lives. In Christ's name, amen. When no man or no woman is an island to themselves, as the saying goes, no one was ever made to live alone. God made us as social beings. He created us for friendship, for family, for those close, caring relationships. And when we don't find that, we keep looking until we do find it. I know as we've interacted in the past, we've, we've seen that good news for some is easy to come in and to connect in one sense, but sometimes there's that desire for a closer connection. And our, our desire this year for good news is that we would be more and more a church that's easy to connect with and easy to build those close relationships with. Perhaps you remember a, uh, the theme song from a, a, a very popular TV show a few years ago called Cheers. Remember that? Yeah. You want to be where everybody knows your name. You want to be where everybody knows your name. You want to be where you can see that the troubles are all the same. And this uh, sitcom based in a bar called Cheers in Boston was... Uh, I think it's so resonated with people because we all have that desire to connect and, to, and to, to have those deep, close relationships. And I believe that the pull of a neighborhood bar is not the alcohol. It's those friendships. It's that camaraderie. So very much. A few years ago, the United States government surveyed prisoners of war who returned they want to find out what was the worst part about being captive, being confined. Was it torture? No. Was it being physically deprived of food and water at times? No. Was it the attempted brainwashing? No. It was being separated from close comrades, from those soldiers that they worked with. More than anything else, that drove these POWs to the brink of despair. I think these observations help us to understand why we as individuals need to connect outside of Sunday morning. We need that close relationship so that we're able to sustain our walk with God because we need people in our lives. Our passage today, Acts, 41 through 47 gives us a snapshot of the early church after the day of Pentecost. It wasn't a perfect church. <laughs> you know why? It was made up of people. But it was a good church that was moving in the right direction. Problems will come later, but God was working, and we want to look and see uh, things that we can draw from this. And overall, we see a church that's devoted to God, devoted to God's people, and devoted to His work. Sometimes I think people were tempted to think of this early church when we read and see all these wonderful things happening, beginning to think that it's perfect, that it's pristine, that there's no sin there. 
Um, but we know that's not true. There's no church that's perfect. Um, none will come close this side of heaven. But I think as we devote ourselves to the Lord and to his word, as we devote ourselves to God's people, and as we devote ourselves to the ministry, the work that God has called us, we'll see that he'll use us in a wonderful way. This morning we continue our series refocusing on Good News Bible Church's vision statement. I want to give it to you one more time. We seek, we seek to be a diverse family of believers, reconciled by God, impacting the lives of people in the Logan Square and Humboldt Park communities and beyond through the gospel of Jesus Christ, accomplished as we see every person connected, discipled, transformed, and on mission. And today we're going to be looking at being connected first to God in heaven, and then with the body of Christ here at Good News. Let's look again in our passage, Acts 2, and I'll begin in verse 42 and go through 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and the awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, attending the temple together, the breaking of bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to the number day by day those who were being saved. One commentator said that the church in Acts 2 here is kind of like the honeymoon. But sooner or later, real life has to come and begin. I often tell couples in weddings, you know, the, the, the tuxes are beautiful, the beautiful flowers are so nice, and, and the food is great, and the music. But you know, the plumbing is going to break at some point, and those dirty diapers are going to be coming, and the grass is going to need to be cut. So in the same way as the honeymoon is a wonderful time, we'd enjoy it, but life goes on. And the early church, it's a wonderful church, but it's in that honeymoon time period when we're looking at today, and only 120 people had a relationship with Christ prior to this. 3,000 people had trusted Christ in um, a very short time. The church wasn't perfect, began moving in the right direction. And um, with the early church, we, we see so many things that we can learn from. The early church met daily. But they couldn't continue doing that. How could they? We see in Acts 20 that later on they began meeting on the first day of the week, weekly. Initially, the church depended on totally on the apostles. Later, we see elders, and deacons, and a variety of, of spirit-filled people using their gifts to minister. Here we see believers selling their possessions and laying their proceeds at the feet of the apostles to pass on to those in need. And later, we see that the church is called on to set aside 
money for collection for the needs of people. In 1 Corinthians 16, Paul says to the congregation there, he says, concerning the collection for the saints, on the first day of every week, each of you should put aside and store up so that when I come, there'll be no need to collect. Evangelism is taking place within the church, but it's primarily through the, the signs and the wonders and the teaching of the apostles. Not yet any kind of formal evangelism program. <laughs> the church in Jerusalem is a Jewish church. Can you imagine a, a, a Gentile coming in with a bacon, lettuce, and tomato sandwich? What do you think their response would be? At this point, the church was Jewish. They were not yet aware that the church would become both Jewish and Gentile. We see later on that they're added after the death of Stephen. Later, they have to deal with issues like the alleged necessity of circumcision. At this point, there was no church discipline. But we know that in a few chapters on, Ananias and Sapphira would be dealt with strongly with church discipline, and it would be death for lying. We read in Acts 247 that the church was well respected and esteemed. It won't be long. The church will be a persecuted church. Again, not a perfect church, not a fully mature church. It takes time for the body of Christ to grow, and this church has 3,000 new believers. It's a learning church, it's a worshiping church, it's a loving church. Evangelistic church. First, we see that they were a learning church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, can you imagine if Good News Bible Church all of a sudden had 3,000 new believers? What in the world would we do? In one sense, it's a pastor's dream. In another sense, it's a pastor's nightmare. How do you train? How do you equip? All these new believers. And some of these people were from different locations and backgrounds, and probably most of them had some understanding of the Old Testament scriptures, but they were ignorant about the life and the teaching of Jesus Christ. The apostles had a huge job to ground these people in their new faith. And they had to do what Jesus Christ did with them, beginning with Moses and with the prophets. They explained to them the things concerning Jesus Christ. That's in Luke 24, 27. The early Christians didn't have a New Testament yet. They didn't have Pilgrim's Progress. They didn't have Westminster Catechism. They had questions. They had questions. What, are, what is it supposed to, to be to believe in Christ? What are we supposed to believe about him? And what are we supposed to believe in addition to the Old Testament scriptures? See, they were totally dependent on the apostles in their teaching about Jesus Christ. In Acts 2, verse 31, just a little bit early in the chapter, Peter says that Jesus is the Christ, uh, the Messiah, the anointed one, the promised one. Later on in that same chapter, verse 36, Peter speaks of Christ as the Lord. God has made him both Lord and Christ. 
this Jesus whom you have crucified. So he's Christ, the Messiah. He's the Lord. And he's a human being. <laughs> Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary. He was flesh and blood. He had a mouth and he spoke. He had nose and he had ears. And even in his resurrection, he appeared in bodily form. And yet he is Lord over all. And yet he is the only God that there is. But he's not the only person who is God. There they begin to have to work through the trinity of God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. Peter and the apostles had much to do to teach and to answer these questions that these people had. So the church will grow as they commit themselves to the teaching of the apostles. First, all about Jesus, his nature, but also the work on the cross, the atonement. What does it mean that Jesus Christ died on the cross? His death and burial and resurrection would need to be explained. This resurrection, it was bodily, it was physical. And that needs to be explained because many believe that spirituality was immaterial. The apostles will be teaching these new believers about the second coming of Jesus Christ, the new heavens and a new earth being formed. And they'll teach so many other things. They'll teach them what does it mean to be a Christ follower? What does it mean to love the Lord? What does it mean that the Spirit of God indwells every believer? What does it mean in my home, in my marriage, in my family? What does it mean at work? So many questions to be answered. They'll begin to ask questions maybe about that pork I mentioned. Is it okay to eat pork? We know that Peter explained that this differences between the clean and unclean uh, had been removed. It's okay to eat pork? But it's not always okay to eat pork because there's some who will be offended and so we have to use our discernment as to when to eat it. Too many questions. That's why we emphasize the Bible here at Good News Bible Church. It's important that we know all God's words. And we're blessed because unlike the early church, we have everything. I still remember when I came to Christ. For those of you who know me a long time, you know that I come from a culture of drugs and alcohol. And, and, and I remember every day that I would, I'm sure I bugged the pastor. I would call him, I'd read the Bible, and I'd have questions, and I'd call him. I'd set up a meeting with him, and I'd go over with questions. It was so neat, later on, as I came here, there was a couple that Chris and I worked with and discipled, and, and the husband would come to me, and he literally would come with a full page, 25 or 30 questions. Same thing with the wife that she met with Chris. You see, they were studying and they were reading God's Word and it was important to them. They wanted to know what God's Word says. These early believers had many questions. What do we need to know? And they looked to the apostles. Today, 
We must be committed always to studying God's Word. Ugo, I'm with you. I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm two or three days behind on studying, on reading through the Bible. I encourage you to do it. So very important that we stay in God's Word. And over and over, Paul, had, he admonished the young pastors. To, he says, I charge you, preach the Word. Be ready in season and out. Reprove, rebuke, exhort. And he tells Timothy, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to the teaching. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and others. Listen to that one more time. Persist in this, in teaching the Word, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. The teaching of God's word to result in worship, right? When we see who God is, our heart desire is to, to worship him. And the early church was no different. It was, a, it was a, a, a church that was learning, and it was a church that was worshiping. Verse 42 says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. And all came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, praising God and having favor with all the people. We see here various elements of worship beyond the preaching and teaching of God's word. First, we see the Lord's Supper. We see in verse 42, it says, the breaking of the bread. In this definitive article here, the, most commentators would tell you that that is a reference to communion. But I want to remind us from our study in 1 Corinthians, back then the early church celebrated communion typically with a regular meal. So, but we see though here that there is that aspect of the Lord's communion. Later on, verse 46, we see breaking bread in their homes, but it doesn't have that that definite article there. Well, secondly, we see prayer. Verse 42, it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship and breaking of bread and the prayers, and the prayers. And probably, remember, these believers were still Jews. They were Jewish Christians. They didn't call themselves Christians yet. They had come to understand that Jesus Christ was that long-awaited-for Messiah. He was the Christ. And so they still initially had that allegiance to the temple. They didn't abandon the Old Testament. <laughs> they didn't abandon the temple initially. We know that in the temple, that daily at 3 or 4 o'clock in the afternoon, there was this prayer time set aside. We know also from studies outside the Bible that that the church, early church, would use a big room that was connected with the, the temple complex. And there they had their, their corporate worship time. So we see again, all these elements of worship, teaching of the Word, we see the Lord's Supper, we see prayer. Again, remember, they're still Jews. They celebrated because of their faith in God. So we're teaching, 
Lord's Supper prayer. Finally, we see they attended the temple together, breaking bread. So we see over and over then that the church was a learning church. They were a worshiping church. And throughout the passage, we see that they were a loving church. They were devoted to each other. Verse 42 says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. And you may say, well, what does being devoted to the fellowship mean? The Greek word koinonia means to share in common. Verse 44 says that all who believed were together and had all things in common. Verse 45 says they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as there was a need. 46, day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Over and over in this passage, we see that loving connection, that fellowship together. So they were devoted to the fellowship. And that's a commitment to being built up together with those who have come to faith in Jesus Christ, trusting in the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. As I think about fellowship, I think of four aspects. First, to our fellowship, we must be saved, right? I'm sure that some of these corporate larger gatherings and in small groups, there were non-believers who were there. But to be involved in true fellowship, one must have the faith in Jesus Christ. And secondly, to our fellowship, we must be together. We can't fellowship if we aren't with the church. Amen? We can't fellowship if we're not with the church. I'm amazed at times at how people miss three, four, and five weeks. And, I'll, and, and there's some that, that they can expect a phone call from me or a text message. And I'm asking, we missed you. Are you okay? But you see, we need to be here. We need to be a part of the body of Christ gathering together on Sunday mornings. But more than that, we need to be together during the week through small groups to get connected together, maybe through breakfast or through lunch or through dessert or through a cup of coffee or tea. We need each other. We need each other. And Satan lies to us and he says, you can do it alone. People, we can't do it alone. Amen. We can't do it alone. We need the body of Christ. We need fellowship together. We must have it. And may I say to you this morning, if you only come on Sunday mornings and there's no connection between anybody in the body of Christ during the week, you're missing out. You're missing out. You're missing out on what God intends for you and for me. I want to encourage you to connect with the body of Christ, whether it's through just sitting together, through a mosaic group, through having coffee together. To have fellowship, we must be together with the church. Third, to have fellowship, we must share about things of the Lord, right? It's easy for us, isn't it, to get together and spend a lot of time talking about politics or about sports or about the weather. You know, to have fellowship at a deeper level, we need to talk about Christ, about our salvation, about His Word. 
If Christ is the center of our lives, when we're together, we'll talk about him. If we don't, that may reveal a little bit about where he is in our lives. We need to fellowship together. We need to interact with others about the word of God. We so much need that. Just this week, I walked into the, the audio of Office 606 and saw a young lady in church on the phone. But we started talking, and pretty soon we were talking about God and how He worked in our lives and lives of our family, and talking about First Peter. This is just as we walked in to Aldi. You see, there's connection in the body of Christ, and when we're together, we're going to talk about that. I, I, I hesitate to tell this because there's some people who don't like for me to mention the University of Alabama, but I want to mention it. The last two weeks when the, 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 um, the playoffs were going on, we had people over. And those of you who know me know that I love the University of Alabama, and I root for their football team like crazy. And if, you, if you're there watching the game with me, you, you'll see that I'm going to be screaming, I'm going to be jumping up on the couch, I'm going to be yelling. Roll tight. <laughs> and you may think, man, Ralph, he's crazily passionate about the University of Alabama. But really neat, one of the guys that was there talked to me afterwards, and he was joking around. But he said, Ralph, he said, you need to be passionate about the Bible like you're about Alabama. He said, you need... You need to be passionate when you're going to preach. She was joking around with me, but you see, we can be together watching a football game, but what's going to come up? Church, body of Christ, because we can't not talk about God, about the church, about His Word. As we gather together, it's just a part of us. And yes, there's truth to this whole thing about food and fellowship. Sometimes we, we say we're going to fellowship together and we have food. We know that's not totally true, but there's truth to having food and fellowshipping together. The early Christians took their meals together. And um, we don't have to have fancy food. We don't have to, to um, wait until we can do all these things. As I said earlier, it can be a simple meal. It can be a dessert. It can be coffee. But we need to be together. We need to be building each other up. So very much. Well, fourth, to have fellowship may very well mean that we may need to share material possessions. And we saw that this church, this early church, was selling possessions and giving the money to those in need. And this passage is suggesting there should be communal living, as some would say. It wasn't suggesting communism. He realized that the situation here in Jerusalem was, was unique in, in, in one sense. Thousands of pilgrims had traveled to the Feast of Pentecost. And many had been saved after hearing Peter's message. And they wanted to stay longer, some, and to be grounded in this newfound faith. They needed hospitality. They needed uh, financial assistance. And to meet those needs, the church opened their homes and their wallets to the needy. And some even sold their land and gave the proceeds 
This truth still goes on today. And as Paul told the church early in, in Corinthians, set aside money. Have a budget so we can meet those needs. Good News Bible Church has done this so many times. I, I, I'm always amazed at how generous Good News Bible Church is. You are a loving people. There are times that the congregation doesn't know some of the deep needs and the elders will reach out and have those needs met as people give. I think way back in New Orleans when the, the hurricane came through when we collected money and we gave. Recently with Puerto Rico, we, we helped buy uh, various things that were needed for people because there was a need. We could go on and on. I think about Liberia and Pastor Wilson and the ministry over there. Good News Bible Church is a loving church. Good News Bible Church is a generous church. And it's God's desire that we continue to lovingly meet the needs of those who are hurting. Well, healthy church is one marked by devotion to the Lord. It's a learning church. It's a worshiping church. And third is a loving church. And finally, a good, healthy church is one that's committed to doing God's work, ministering to people. And we've seen over and over here how they met the needs of, of people. They valued people over possessions. Let me say it one more time. They valued people over possessions. They willingly gave up their land in order to meet needs. Secondly, as we think about this church that's growing so fast, sure, some came to faith in Jesus Christ as Peter and the other apostles were teaching and preaching. But I still think back in my own life and when I came to Christ, who did I tell about my faith? I told my brothers and sisters, my mom and dad. I told all my friends. Several, around 10 or 11, and my family came to Christ. And I shared with my my, my, my buddies at the fraternity house, none of them came to Christ, but I shared with them. You see, we can't not share the gospel. When we come to faith in Jesus Christ, He changes us. Right? Can I, amen? amen? Christ changes us when we've come to faith. And we can't not tell people about Jesus Christ. We can't not. Evangelism is, is the work of God. He does it through us. It's the Lord who adds to the church. He's the one who saves, but we're responsible to share the gospel. Each day, it says that day by day, people came to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. And God saves people and he places them in a body like the news or Armitage Baptist, or Park, or wherever. And there they'd be taught the Word of God. And there they're to worship. And there they learn their spiritual gifts and begin to minister. My question for you this morning is, what are your spiritual gifts? What is your spiritual gift if you only may have one? Do you know your gift? And second question, are you using your spiritual gift? Are you? Are you using your spiritual gift?
to build up the body of Christ. Acts 2 paints this picture of an attractive church. <laughs> it's so funny for us Americans. This church had no building. It had no staff. It had no programs. It had no choir. It had no worship band. It had no musical instruments. It had no parking lot. It had no Facebook page. It had no website. But God was using it in a powerful, powerful way. And people were coming to faith in Jesus Christ. What made the church so attractive? They shared one thing in common, their love and their faith in Jesus Christ. Think back on that day, <clears throat> Pentecost, people had gathered together <clears throat> excuse me, in Jerusalem, from many places, from Asia, from Rome, from Egypt, Cappadocia, Arabs, you name it. In Acts 2, 5 through 11, it, it talks about it. They, it says, now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under the heaven. And each one heard their own language being spoken. And amazed, they asked, aren't all these people speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own language? And we see that unique situation where God gave the apostles' ability to speak the language in order to share the gospel. And so we see this church coming together after the day of Pentecost. Thousands coming to faith. It wasn't a perfect church. None will be a perfect church this side of heaven. We must continue to devote ourselves to worship corporately and dwell in small groups. We must be devoted to God's people, loving them, caring for them, meeting their needs. And third, we must be committed to doing the work that God has called us, using our spiritual gifts, building up the body for the gifts that God has given us. And if we're not using that gift, the church is not operating and, and, and doing the work as well as it should be because God has given us gifts to use, to equip the body, to do the work of ministry. The test of a church is not just doing the right things. It's a matter of right heart, right? Right heart, right attitudes, maintaining those right relationships. It wasn't just that the church was, was, was doing these things, but Luke wanted us and I think he's trying to convey how and why these things are so important. We know that, that Christ in the Sermon on the Mount and other places, he condemned charity. He condemned fasting and prayer that was wrong, done for the wrong reasons. Do you remember in Matthew says, on judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and perform many miracles in your name. And Christ says, but I will reply, I never knew you. You see, there's a right heart attitude as we minister. God calls us 
to have that. Another powerful passage is I read this. I couldn't help but think about my own life. And I hope as you hear this, as you read this passage, that it would drive you back to your knees and ask the question, do I love God with all my heart, my soul, my mind? I shared earlier with you that when I came to Christ, I couldn't stop talking about Christ. I had brothers who told me later on, man, you really beat us up. Well, we don't want to beat people up. But we want to be sharing the gospel. It's a powerful passage in Revelation chapter 2. Where Christ tells the church there at Ephesus. He says, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people. And that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not. And have found them uh, false. You have persevered and you have endured hardships for my name. And have not grown weary. And yet, and yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. You have forsaken the love that you had at first. And Christ goes on and he says, Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampshade from this place. Powerful. We've seen this early church. Not perfect. The church in Jerusalem was like during the years, far from perfect, was marked by genuine love. Love for God, love for his people, love for the work of the Lord. And my prayer is that Good News Bible Church will be characterized by a love for God, for teaching his word, for worshiping him, a love for his people, equipping them ministering to him, caring for their needs, and a love for his work, reaching out, caring for those lost, as well as caring for those within. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this powerful passage, Father, for just the impact that it has on us as we see a church committed, Father, to you, to your word, and to your people, and to doing your work. Oh, Father, we pray that we might be that church doing the things that you call us to do. Loving people, loving you, Father, and loving your work. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.